Hey, what's up? Welcome to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. Joining me, as always, of course, my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team for the Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. A big crossover day today with uh, with Donnie and Dolly coming up in about 10 minutes. Drance is on the road, so we are testing the Wi-Fi internet capabilities of wherever Drance's hotel is right now. We got the video call up. We're going to cross our fingers that we don't get any technical difficulties. Drance, how are you doing? But don't don't wave your hand at me, Dom, as if it's never happened He's before. Fine. I think I'm fine. Yeah, it's working. How, how do I sound? You sound great. Coming at you from the bottom of a tin can. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I've arrived in Boston. It's a beautiful sunny day. Going to eat a lot of seafood with Ian McIntyre a little bit later and looking forward to, you know, hanging out with Donnie. What could be, I guess, Rick, too. What could be better than eating a lot of seafood with Ian McIntyre? What a day. (laughs) What a day you have planned. Um, That's the, so we'll do the crossover in a few minutes here. And then, of course, Jason Bukala will join us at one o'clock as he typically does on a Wednesday. Lots to get into today. Canucks beat the Hurricanes 3-2, and of course, the big story coming out of it in his Canucks debut, Elias Lindholm with the immediate impact, scoring twice, both tip-ins on the power play, playing that net front role. And I got to say, I mean, even just beyond the two goals, and I know Rick Talk had kind of echoed this or, or said this uh, after the game as well, like, look, leave aside the goals. I think you really just saw kind of instantly – how he changes the makeup of this team, having Elias Lindholm as an option because plays in all situations, you know, led the forwards a nice time. His line ended up matched up against the Sebastian Ajo line for most of the game. And then he's out there to kill the game in the final seconds. And so in effect, what happened here with this trade is you take a guy in Andre Kuzmenko, who was when he, even when he wasn't in and out of the lineup, he was kind of playing fourth line minutes and now you've gone and replaced him with somebody that instantly in game one against a really good team, Rick Tockett is using as one of the kind of three key forwards on this team. And we all knew it was going to be a big change, but I think seeing it really drove home just how much flexibility and how much value Rick Tockett's going to be able to get out of that upgrade. Yeah, and it was seamless. Like, yeah, right off the hop, it felt seamless with some knock-on effects down lineup, right? So you noted that Elias Lindholm played the most minutes mm-hmm. five on five. Um, on Pedersen's wing, they drew the Ajo matchup. I've, I wondered if that would be sort of what both coaches agreed with as their first choice matchup earlier in the week, and that's how it played out. So you have Lindholm, Mikheyev, and Pedersen, uh, you know, up against Ajo, Teravainen, and, and Martinuk. And... You know, that line plays 12 minutes. It's one of the highest shot volume lines in the league in terms of how frequently they stack up heavy shifts and test goalies. You know, not necessarily with the highest quality stuff, but certainly at high volume. Yep. Um, you know, 12 minutes on ice in that matchup and and two shots on goal for the Hurricanes. 
You know, at the, I mean, the Canucks yep. didn't generate a lot five on five with the Pedersen line on the ice against Ajo's group, but like, this is the Hurricanes. It's hard mm-hmm. to generate, right? I mean, it's <laughs> it's not unusual for them to surrender less than 20 shots in a game. And in fact, they surrendered less than 20 shots in a game last night. Um, but they generated nothing. Uh, that to me is, you know, uh, a, maybe a defensive fastball on the Pedersen line that it that it hadn't had, certainly with Andre Kuzmenko on the wing, but really with any formulation yep. we've seen, whether it's Lafferty or, or on and on. Um, you know, is there potential for that to be sustained? Uh, could we see that be a line that Talkit trusts in matchups when it's his choice? Um, you know, more than just being like, yeah, I agree with mm-hmm. Rod Brindamore's selection, which is what we saw last night, driving that sort of matchup game himself. Um, you know, I'll be curious to see. And then on the penalty kill, you know, he basically took JT Miller off of it. I mean, that's that's what we're seeing, right? Like, JT Miller had been sort of PK2 and the guy who jumps over the boards first to win the draw. Yeah. Well, it was Lindholm taking the draws and making the quick change and then coming back out with Niels Amon uh, in, in Miller's spot. Well, that's a big help. I mean, all of a sudden you're reducing Miller's ice time, right? And, and sort of focusing him on – the areas where he makes the biggest difference, which is, you know, offense and and just in terms of being like a willful physical presence uh, on the ice, you know, if that's a two-pronged thing, right? Miller plays less shorthanded and maybe gets easier matchups five on five as a result of the Lindholm ad. Well, that's a knock-on effect that amplifies, you know, in some ways like the danger level that the Canucks can offer their opponents, you know, through... Miller is an attacking piece. I mean, that's all upside. I thought the matchup thing that you highlighted was really interesting as well, right? Because as you said, look, it's Rod Brindamore making these decisions with the Canucks on the road. But just the fact that Tockett didn't feel the need to try to go away from those matchups at all. Like, he was just happy, like, okay, if that's how you want to play it, that's fine. And I think it really does put Tockett in the driver's seat, and it kind of makes the other team react to the Canucks rather than vice versa. You know what I mean? Maybe that wouldn't have been Tockett's absolute number one first choice, but it wasn't something that gave him any stress, clearly, because he didn't try to get away from it. And so, you know, that meant Jordan Stahl was playing his line, kind of the shutdown guy for the Canes was playing against JT Miller in that line. And, you know, I thought the Miller line did a pretty good job in that situation. And it, it just, again, it's it's the kind of thing where against the Hurricanes, you end up with you know, it's not as if you're getting either of those lines soft minutes because the Hurricanes are such a deep team. But against other teams, they'll have to make difficult decisions about, okay, who do we put our best players up against? And that will benefit the Canucks. And I just really, it felt to me like the Canucks were kind of dictating how the Hurricanes had to use their players and how they had to deploy their players. And then they can just kind of sit back and and see what the other team does and adjust there. But, you know, it is going to be really interesting when Tockett has first choice to see what they do. But as you said, with Lindholm out there and the Pedersen and Pedersen and Mikheyev against the Ajo line, they did a good job. And if that continues, I mean, that is a huge, huge weapon for Rick Tockett to have to deploy later in the season. Yeah, well, and we'll get our first taste of how much this new Canucks lineup causes their opponents to react tomorrow. Yeah. Because this Bruins team deploys the top six with a loaded top line sometimes. But they'll also go away from it. They'll also play Pasternak with Zaka. So we're going to get an interesting look into 
you know, does this Canucks lineup with Lindholm added sort of cause a coach to yep. fatten their lineup intentionally, uh, which, you know, is something the Bruins do situationally and, and based on their matchups, or will they try to, you know, will they try their usual top heavy lineup against Vancouver? I, I think that'll be an interesting data point for us to monitor tomorrow when the two teams take morning skate. What'd you think of the game overall? Because I thought, you know, obviously Carolina pushes really hard in the third period, which is no surprise, but I thought just in general, I mean, that was a pretty high tempo, tight checking, relatively intense game for game one out of the all-star break. I don't think you saw a lot of like all-star doldrums from either team. Well, I I think there's a benefit to playing a game like that where the pace is really high and the amount of physical engagement is high. Yeah. You know, like you really get to, um, you know, feel it in terms of getting a feel for your hands, making a ton of small plays, like lots of short area plays, but nonetheless under pressure, right? Having to try and battle 50-50 every five foot of, feet of ice. Yeah. Um, you know, and the game being played at high tempo. Like I, I feel like that's a good way to – sort of break the doldrums of the all-star break yeah. as it were uh, in terms of the Canucks overall performance. I thought they were fantastic for 25 minutes. Do you still have me? Yeah, I got you. Don't worry. Okay. I thought they were fantastic for 25 minutes, like really, really good. As good as we've seen uh, this team play, you know, and consistent with what we've seen over the past month. Uh, I thought then for about 15 minutes, Carolina was like, taking control of the game Canucks though in that time, you know, get the second power play goal briefly, the the Canes level it up again. And then there's that weird bouncer uh, off the stanchion Miller capitalizes and then the hurricanes pushed. And that's what you'd expect. Like you expect the hurricanes to push. I don't think the Canucks were overwhelmed by any means, but to me, it was like, there was 25 really good minutes, uh, 15 less good minutes, but the Canucks took the lead in those 15 minutes and then did a good job holding it. So um, strong first performance coming out of the break. All right. It is time for the crossover with our pals Donnie and Dolly uh, from Donnie and Dolly on Check TV. You can check it out every Monday to Friday, 10 to noon. We are now joined by Don Taylor and Rick Dollywall. And uh, a lot has happened since the last time we had a chance to chat with you guys. It wasn't too long after that that the Canucks go out and make the Elias Lindholm deal. Our first chance to chat since then. So, I mean, look, <laughs> where I'm asking this question after he goes out and scores two goals in his debut and helps the Canucks beat the Hurricanes. But what do you guys think about the trade? Me? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, sorry, we had an echo earlier, and it, everything seems to be uh, j- just fine now. Well, yeah, like you say, it's easy yeah. like, to say you know all, all these positive things about uh, Lindholm a- after last night, and oh, I'm sure the Flames are pretty happy with uh, with things too, with what happened with uh, Kuzmenko last night uh, as well, and as they discover not only what he does on the ice, but his off ice personality, which is which is off the uh, charts. But hey, look, guys. Um, how much was Kuzmenko going to play in important games down the stretch? Yeah. How much was he going to play in the playoffs? Would anybody have been surprised, g- given his relationship with Rick Tockett, if he got scratched in playoff games? No. So they really, you know, in, they replaced somebody in the in the top six who wasn't really in the top six with a legitimate top six player. Yes, they gave up some prospects, but they're able to keep, you know, uh, Vlander and Lakaramaki and and put Colson. Have to give it. Have to give it a thumbs up, even yeah. before last night. 
I just love the I love the fact they identified this player early and they had a mission to get him. And it was around the 30-game mark that they said, you know what, we're, we're going to put it all together for this guy and try to get him. And I just love the fact that, hey, this is the guy we're going after. They got him, and I don't think they gave up a king's ransom to get him. Um, I still think Biscavage is going to be a player someday, but that's a, a story for down the road. Um, you know, the fact they had to put him in there is is, is obviously uh, you're not going to yep. get this guy for cheap. You identified him. He's one of the top players um, available for the trade deadline, and you guys got him. You got him early. Uh, these these are all staples of Jim Rutherford and, and the work he's done in the past at trade deadlines. And you got to look at Jim's work, uh, not only in Carolina, everybody talks about Carolina, but Pittsburgh as well. Uh, if you think you got a shot uh, to win it all, well, you got to do the due yep. diligence. And he did that. And this is a great message it, to not only to the fans of the city, the players in the dressing room, but also to the rest of the Western Conference guys that, you know what, hey, Vancouver just went out and did some really good work. Got one of the top guys, and now let's see how the Oilers and, and Vegas and other teams, Colorado, uh, how do they respond to what Vancouver did? So I just love the fact they identified him early and they got him. Mission accomplished. Yeah, and, and guys, uh, we were told, I forget who it was, Rick, who was on yeah. with us. Maybe it was you, Thomas. But uh, at the 30-game mark is when they decided yeah. to go out and get uh, Elias right. Lindholm, to go out of mm-hmm. out of his way. Maybe it was you, Thomas. But to, they, were, they were 29 and one at that point. That was after that four nothing win over Florida, yep. and they just beaten Carolina and Tampa Bay. These guys have been around a long time, uh, you know, Alvin and yep. especially Jim, Jim Rutherford, Rutherford and Rick Tockett. So obviously, at that point, with that record, which is really impressive, and winning those games against those those really talented teams, yep. they thought to themselves, "This is real. Let's let's go out and, and target this guy. He's our number one target," and they got him. And to your point, Absolutely. Rick, about you know sending a message and the fans getting excited, I, I I think I know another person who's probably really excited about the trade, and that's Rick Tockett. Because as you were saying, Donnie, you know you go from Kuzmenko, who's kind of playing four flying minutes, even when he's the top six, a healthy scratch sometimes. Then you bring in Lindholm, and game one, not you know he's playing on the power play, he's out there taking draws on the faceoff, and he's out there killing the game in the final seconds, yeah. right? So it's not just that you brought yeah. in somebody who can compliment Elias Pettersson. I mean, already Tockett is leaning on this guy in really key situations against a really good team in the Hurricanes. Yeah, yeah. The, what happened at the end of the game? I mean, Andre Kuzmenko is in the locker room around then, isn't he? <laughs> you know, in, in a game in a game like that, like honestly, yeah. he's not yep. nowhere near the ice at, at the. I don't mean to knock him, and he had a, a great debut, but just him and Tockett, that, that they weren't going to coexist. No, and, and for them to get a player like Lindholm, who they can trust in a situation like that, and he scores a couple of two, uh, a couple of power play goals. It was, it was really impressive. I know it was a long way to go, but really, really impressive. Probably the best Canucks debut that I can remember, and you guys can correct me if you want, 1987, Greg Adams. Anybody? Oh, Greg Adams. Four goals his first game as a Canuck yeah. against the St. Louis Blues at the, at the Hard Coliseum. Hard to beat that, Donnie. Uh, Greg Adams. Yeah. What a player he was. Oh, boy, was he ever. One-year-old Jamie rem- remembers it very well. <laughs> Okay, stop it. One Just year old. stop it. Okay. So you were five years older than Drantz? No. Dr- <laughs> when do you think Drantz was born? Uh, not long ago. Not long ago. <laughs> <laughs> not yesterday, though. Rick, I'm curious to get your take on this, and we'll look forward for the most part. But, you know, one benefit of getting this done early 
you know, the obvious stuff is you set the market, right? You, you identify a player, you go get him, you give him more runway to adjust, you, you strengthen your team and on and on. But in terms of clearing the air by moving off of Kuzmenko, given that it clearly wasn't working, um, do you think there was yeah. a organizational sense that that needed to happen, that if, if it festered, it could impact the team? Yeah, well, and you're dealing with an agent, uh, you know, that you're talking to all the time and Dan Milstein, right? And uh, Dan fought hard to keep, uh, I, I can't tell you guys enough, how Milstein behind the scenes fought super hard to keep Kuzmenko in Vancouver. Like, he just did not want to see that guy go. At the end, he had no choice but to uh, to finally figure out, like everybody else in the city, it was not going to work with Kuzmenko and Tockett. He just would not play the way Tockett wanted him to play, and it just was going to end up in a divorce. But I can't tell you guys enough how hard that uh, uh, Milstein, he didn't want this to happen. He fought really hard behind the scenes. Every time that uh, Kuzmenko got healthy scratched, I'd text Milstein, and he'd say, nope, it's going to be okay. I'm going to talk to the Canucks. We don't want to trade. Uh, Andre doesn't want to trade. I don't want to trade. And he fought hard to keep that guy in Vancouver. But at the end, and by the way, this will not affect uh, Kuzmenko being traded, will not affect their relationship with uh, Milstein. He's still got a ton of clients in Vancouver. It's a management group that likes him, and he likes Vancouver. It's not what uh, Milstein wanted. But in the end, I think everybody finally said it was time to move on. Lindholm, it was interesting to hear him talk yesterday because, you know, he was talking as if everyone knows it's been a struggle for me offensively, right? Like he was doing the Mm -hmm. um, answers when you have a good game, but offense has been in short supply for you all season and maybe your confidence hasn't been very high. And, And that's a normal tone. Like I'm used to talking to players in that tone after big games. But I've fallen a little bit out of practice because there aren't very many Canucks players for whom that would apply this season. It almost felt like Lindholm didn't know like how it worked around here. You know, it's like, oh, no, this is going to be a regular thing for you now, man. You're going to get a lot of goals here. Um, <laughs> do you think that's going to be an adjustment for him in terms of the opportunities he's about to get? Well, I, I you know, he's... We're sort of going back to the Goudreau year with with, with Kachuk, Kachuk and, mm, you know, 40, yeah, yeah. 40 plus goals in the and the uh, and being a, a Selkie finalist. I would think at the very least he would be thinking team first. He's in a better situation here, and that the 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 situation he's been presented with Pedersen as his center or his winger, however things work out, uh, center last night, although Lindholm was taking uh, some faceoffs, that he's bound to have better offensive numbers and being on the number one power play, power play. he's got to be pre- he's got to be pr- uh, pretty excited uh, about it. You wouldn't know it after the, the post game interview. He seemed pretty pretty reserved, but uh, it's just that's just the way he is. How can he not be excited given the situation with the team and then individually? Look at the power play last night, two for three, right? Um, he, he's going to be on a power play in Vancouver that is obviously a, a huge part of this hockey club. He's going to play with better players, and he's going to play on the number one team in the NHL. I mean, he deep down, he's got to be absolutely uh, the happiest guy in the world yeah, with, and, that, with I, that trade. So, sorry, Rick, but also forget about the McKeev and Pedersen. Hard to do that. But did you not get the sense last night, and you forget about this sometimes, defensemen are part of the offense, that there's something going on between him and Quinn Hughes. Mm-hmm. 
And, and I think that first goal, especially because you know, I'm coaching minor hockey right now and have been for a while. You tell your kids a million times, the defenseman, do not cram those shots into the shin pads. Shoot wide on purpose, and yet you should have yeah. forwards that are able to read that, and they can you know wait for the wait for the puck to bounce off the boards or deflect it as it's go, as it's going wide. They read each other last night on that play. And that was, you know, and that's that's the first game, and I thought that was really, and of course, the second goal was somewhat similar. Yep. I think that's really promising as yeah. well, along with uh, who his line mates are up front. Well, it's another benefit too to getting him in early, right? Giving him those extra games to build that chemistry that's going it. into the playoffs, yeah. and you know, I, I thought uh, obviously he's skating with Pedersen and Ilya Mikheyev last night, and it was interesting to hear Rick Tockett. Uh, you know, not cr- I wouldn't say criticism of Mikheyev, but acknowledging that, hey, this is a big stretch for him. I'm going to be watching him. We need to see if he can fit in with that line. And, look, we all know he's, you know, recovering from surgery. That takes time. He might not have quite the same jump. But in kind of game one of that new look line, I thought it was a pretty good showing uh, for Ilya Mikheyev. I think if he has more performances like that, he's going to lock down that job next to, uh, next to Pedersen and Lindholm. Well, his first shift. Right in on the four check, yeah. created turnover in the corner. But the thing with the thing with Tockett is he's already talked to Garland about you know if it does he's called that uh, on the left side he's called that as a as an opening and people have to audition for it and if 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 Mikheyev's not cutting it he Tockett's not going to sit around and wait fifteen games he he's already talked to Garland about possibly moving up but you know Donnie and I were talking about Garland and Besser. And how life changes in in, in, in in twelve months, you know. Well, and Garland, it's earlier because it was before the right out of training camp. I wanted a trade. He actually never did ask for a trade. Uh, but look at Besser last year to this year. The Canucks are very lucky they didn't trade these two guys. Uh, guys, um, look at the year Besser's had. You know, I I heard Besser. You know, last year his agent. Uh, was talking to a ton of teams. There was a couple of situations there where there were serious discussions, but it never got done. And then Garland this year is just absolutely look at his first period last night, crossbar, and you know just generating, moving your feet. He drives the line. He drives the line. He try and so I, I just uh, the biggest thing, uh, Thomas and Jamie is I, I enjoy this, uh, you know, this season because they've got ten free agents. That's half the roster. Eight are UFA and two are RFA. I don't even. I can't tell you right now what this team's going to look like ne- next year. Well, more reason can't. to go after Lindholm, right? That's it. That's it. I may, and maybe somebody else. And then the other thing too, uh, uh, Thomas. I think you pointed this out, but Joshua last night as oh. well with the block mm-hmm. uh, late, out late versus earlier in the season when Tockett was questioning his his conditioning. He's going to be a UFA if I'm not. Yep. If I'm not. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. He is. He's one of eight UFAs but on that been, roster. He's been, he's been really impressive. He made oh. a lot of good plays. Guys, Joshua yeah. is third in the NHL for hits, second in forwards. Yeah. He uh, he had the big chance in the first period, too, that Garland set up. Um, mm-hmm. That line, mm-hmm. once again, yeah. one of the most consistent. You know, when I think about that game, though, gentlemen, you know, a lot of really good teams lost last night, right? Like, coming out of the break, is yeah. it's Boston. easy to have something of a letdown. And, and the Canucks, the effort yeah. level, uh, the amount of fun, just the vibes around this club seem very high. I mean, you bring up uh, the change in Garland. Um, you know, we're, we're here in Boston, um, his hometown. Uh, he's hosting the team tonight. Yep. Like, he's hosting, the, he's hosting the team for lobster nice. rolls and stuff tonight. It's clear that this is a tightening nice. group. Do, do you think we see it in, in performances like that last night? 
Well, I, you know what? I think I, I got the sense that they were being outshot where they give up 12 shots in the third period. But you kind of got the sense, even watching on television, that they enjoyed that. Yeah. That this is this is what it's going to be like a lot. You know, we got a target on our backs for going into the playoffs undoubtedly. And it was like they it just seemed like they had fun holding on to that one goal lead. They didn't seem like they were just hanging on. They didn't seem really desperate. They seemed like they were having fun doing that. Like they were having fun at at, at work. And now they got the lobster rolls coming. Nine days off, guys, and then they go into Carolina, outshoot the Canes 12-4 in the first period. That's impressive to me. I mean, they were ready. They were focused. It was a workmanlike uh, effort. There's a reason why, Thomas and Jamie, there's so many people think the Canucks are a Stanley Cup contender is because they play like it and they act like one. And, I mean, coming out of the All-Star break, those All-Star guys, you know, Taka told them, first practice in Carolina, you guys can take off, and they said there's no way. There's clearly a great dressing room. That's why I, I'm. I know everybody wants to see the Canucks acquire four or five guys. No, 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 no. This is a tight knit group. Uh, Talk it said it in uh, on Toronto. You don't want to upset the apple cart. You have come this far. Fifty games are the number one team in the NHL with this group. Why not? Uh, you know, reward these guys by you know keeping this group together. I maybe they add a depth defenseman or maybe a depth forward. But man, oh man! I mean, this group together has been sensational all year. Yeah, I know, uh, Thomas. You and Ian were talking to talk at last night about, hey, you know, isn't this great that it looks like they haven't lost anything over the ten days they had off yeah. or whatever it was uh, for the All Star break? And just the way the schedule has worked out for them, this is a very good team. And they come back after the All Star break with all those players in, in Toronto for the All Star yeah. All Star weekend, and they they have a game against Carolina in Carolina. That's a good hockey team. And then the next night, Thursday night, they take on Boston. So if they were sleepy at all getting back, you know, from all-star break, that goes out the door playing those two opponents. I think that's a perfect setup, uh, you know, as it maybe it didn't seem like it when you looked at it, for, you know, at the start of the season. That's a perfect setup uh, for them playing those teams. you got to be awake against those guys. Absolutely. And, and everything's coming up roses for them, guys. they got a kid in Abbotsford right now, the yep. American League Hockey League MVP in the All-Star game. That guy's going to have a tough time getting a sniff in the roster. Pod Colson's down there. I mean, it looks like these guys, I mean, try to crack the Vancouver forward group is very hard. It's how Who comes out? Name one guy you would take out right now for a kid in Abbotsford. Well, Nobody. Not for a kid well, in Abbotsford. But, but, but it's as you say, though, Rick, you don't know what this team's going to look like next year. Like, that's where you know, the Bane yeah. story becomes really interesting. Okay. He's going to need affordable that, that's why training camp. That's yeah. What I'm that's why you have training camp, Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you definitely. Hey, the Canucks are not re-signing eight UFAs. Take that to the bank. Nope. They are going to need Baines and Pod Colson and, and some of these guys. And Hey, here's the other one for you. Casey DeSmith makes $3 million a year. I'm having a tough time seeing that, that him getting that again in Vancouver. Arthur Silovs, is he ready mm. to step in and be the backup? There's so many questions for next year, but right now, enjoy what they're doing. It's it's pretty uh, yep. incredible. I did want to ask you about Baines, Rick. As you mentioned, AHL All-Star Game MVP, point per game down in the AHL. As you said, though, it's not as if there's an obvious spot. They've been so healthy this year, they haven't even had those chances for call-ups. Yeah. Now, I did see, I think just since we've been on air, they said they sent Linus Carlson back down to Abbotsford. He's been up and down all year obviously yep. but what, what do they like are they comfortable just having Archie Baines there in Abbotsford for the rest of the year would they like to get him a call up at some point what what do you 
what's what's your sense of what their plan is for Baines? Jim Rutherford told us uh, on our show, Donnie, that uh, if Pod Colson stays down in Abbotsford all year, he has no issues with it. Yeah, it's develop, learn, get better. They don't want to bring him up for a game or two like Carlson. He just keeps coming up. One game goes back. Yep. They don't want to do that. They want to bring up uh, Baines and Pod Colson when they're ready to be everyday NHL players. Yeah, and, and go back to Pittsburgh. Sorry, Rick. Yeah, go. Yeah, go, go back to Pittsburgh with uh, Rutherford and Al- Alvin, who would have been around Rust and Gensel and how. Teddy Blue- those players populated in, in, in Teddy Bluger. So in in Wilkes-Barre, yep. they percolated and helped that team win a couple of Stanley Cups, and I'm sure that's the model they're trying to fill is, yeah, these guys look like they're ready, but, you know, and Detroit did that years ago too, Thomas. You might remember that uh, as well, uh, Jamie. They did that year, years ago as well, like percolating the minors. Don't bring them up uh, too soon. And, and meanwhile, things are going really well for the NHL team. The formula looks really good uh, right now. So he comes up, and he's going to play nine minutes, right? Yeah. No power play. So why not stay in Abbotsburg, play 20 minutes, power play, penalty killing, yeah. and then everyone's going to bitch that he could, they called him up and only played him nine minutes, right? Um, how does he – Is he? what's his fit? Is he a top six or bottom six? You know, there's so many questions, but they're doing the right thing. Stay down there uh, and work. And I'm going to tell you something else. You know, Taki gets all the credit, but I was told that, you know, do not underestimate what the Sedin twins have done you know, in Abbotsford and Vancouver, you know, when they were first hired, everyone thought it was just a, a gimmick or whatever, just given. No, they were not pushed to the side. These guys are very important to practice. And also their uh, uh, skills guys, uh, Sevskoski, that guy's really good. Yogi. Uh, Yogi. Yogi. Yeah. So I, I was told, uh, I look at Thomas laughing. Yeah. Yo, we're, we're going just, with Yogi. I was, 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 was going to say, Yogi is yeah. a lot easier to say. Make it easy on yourself, Rick. Yogi. Yeah. Just listen. Uh, let me. It's I like, won't say his last name. I'll just the, say Yogi. The, Trans the name, calls him. I'm trying to tell a like, story, Thomas. Trans calls him Big Lie. <laughs> Look, I was close. I was in the neighborhood. Listen, I was told do not underestimate. Uh, there he goes again laughing. You, you laugh like a hyena, uh, Thomas. Let me finish. Okay, I'm sorry. Don't underestimate. Don't underestimate what the Twins are doing. Don't estu- underestimate what Yogi is doing. There you go. And this uh, coaching, uh, this is the best group of coaches, and also Jeremy Carlton. I think it's the best group of coaches the Canucks have had in a long, 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 long time. All right. Are you happy? We, let you, we got it out. We did it. <laughs> yeah, we finished on a high note. Guys, this was awesome. Thanks for doing this as always. Uh, we look forward to catching up next week. Awesome, Adios. guys. Thank you so much. Right. Later. Bye. That is uh, Don Taylor and Rick <laughs> Dollywall from Donnie and Dolly on I Check TV. I felt like TV. a contestant on Hot Ones. <laughs> just trying know, desperately not to like, react. Yeah, I'm trying not to laugh, but I'm like, oh, it's just, it's building. <laughs> uh, Yogi Svikoski? How do I say it? I just not like Rick. Yeah. Okay. Whatever I do, not like that. But anyways, uh, yes, that's the skills coach we're talking uh, yeah, about. I think it's Svechkovsky. Svechkovsky. Okay. Yeah. If only there was a Slovak on the show that could answer well, the question. Jump in. Don't you don't have to be passive aggressive about it. Are you gonna tell us or not? I like uh, I like seeing you guys squirm a little. Bit. Okay. 
All right. Well, uh, we're super, super past our break. We're running super late here. That's so. okay. Oh, okay. So uh, we will take a break. Uh, some good texts coming into the inbox. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Jason Buchla will join us at 1, but up next we got an open segment here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. All right, don't mind me, just vibing, vibing to the tunes. Banger, an absolute banger. The knockoff Fleetwood Mac, you can't beat it. Uh, welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintec studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dunbar Lumber. Dot com. Uh, the hotline is brought to you by Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. The first call, the only call. Uh, this text came in. Rick sounds like Frank Costanza when he gets fired up from Todd Has Bad Takes. I like that comparison because there's a similar quality of like rapid acceleration in terms of being annoyed <laughs> that they both have, where they'll be just perfectly normally talking to you and then instantly. At a split second's notice, uh, be yelling about something surprising out of nowhere. Both Rick Dollywell and Frank Costanza. I like it. Frank Good comparison. Dollywell. Frank Dollywell, indeed. Or Rick Costanza, even. I like that as well. Um, <laughs> we should talk a little bit. We haven't, I mean, we were hyping it up yesterday, right? Big day of hockey. Canucks Hurricanes, I think, lived up to the billing. It was a good game, fun game, intense game. And then, obviously, uh, the second half of it, the one that everyone in hockey was watching, the Golden Knights and the Oilers. The Oilers looking to tie Rick Tockett's Penguins' 17-game winning streak for the longest in NHL history. They do not do it. The Vegas Golden Knights snap the streak. And I got to say, like, there's obvious Canucks implications here, and we can talk about that a little bit in the whiteboard uh, later on in the show as well. But... My biggest Canucks takeaway is how many times over the last couple of years, Drancer, and usually it's in the playoffs, but sometimes it's after a big game in the regular season, have we watched a, a, a big game between two good teams and you come away thinking like, man, I could not picture the Canucks playing in that type of game, right? Last night, I'm watching the Edmonton Oilers and the Vegas Golden Knights, two really good teams, go at each other, and that was a fun game, intense game, playoff-type atmosphere, and I was sitting there thinking, you know what? I could absolutely see the Canucks hang in this type of game. Like, that was the big takeaway for me. I was watching and thinking, you know what? This is a really good game. I'm not taking anything away from either of those two teams. They're playing at a high level. But for the first time in a long time, watching that happen, I was like, you know what? And I have a pretty high degree of confidence the Canucks could be right there with them in that type of environment. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely fair. Uh, it wasn't one of my main takeaways. I I didn't think about it in that form but you know I, I think that's the other side of the coin with what we're talking about about you know the way that this Canucks team has played especially over the course of the past five weeks and them having real ceiling right yeah uh, the sort of ceiling that certainly I didn't expect them to coming into this season um 
so, you know, consistent with that takeaway, it makes sense. Yeah, I don't think they looked like they'd be um, out of place in that contest by any means. I thought it was a great game, by the way. It was a really good um, game. Yeah, the, the two data points that sort of stuck out to me was Edmonton loses in their streak breaks, but I thought they were the better team 100%. throughout that game. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I thought they were pretty unfortunate to lose, um, which is scary, right? Because I also, the other takeaway for me is, you know, the thing about Vegas is they haven't performed like an elite team at any point this season, Mm -hmm. right? Like I know they got off to that hot start, but it was mostly, you know, goaltending and finishing fortune. We kind of had a sense that that wouldn't last. At no point have they put together like a month long stretch like the Canucks have even in January where it's like, oh, wow, you know, that's not just winning games. That's, that's really high-end hockey that's the sort of hockey you can play if you've got a shot at no point this season have we seen vegas play like that not not for an extended stretch what we've seen is occasional blips occasional games where they decide to get up for it uh we saw one in vancouver in late november uh we saw one when they hosted the rangers the other week um they we we saw one last night and we saw it without theodore or jack eichel in their lineup and that's sort of remains the big data point for me like I think you know I think Edmonton is probably in my mind the the best true talent team in hockey but if there's another team that I'd put in that mix it's Vegas Uh, but but not because of what I've seen so much as because of my faith that they can turn it up and be more like the team they were in the spring last year when it really counts when the chips are down I think there's a, a switch that they can flip Oh, we just lost you, Drancer. I don't know if there's something came unplugged or, but we can't hear you right now. All right, we will uh, we'll try to get Drancer reconnected there as he's talking about the uh, the Edmonton Vegas game last night, which was a really entertaining game and actually big spot for the NHL because, of course, that game's in Vegas, one of the most marquee regular season matchups I can recall in the NHL in a long time, and it's Super Bowl week in Vegas, so you actually had a ton of pretty high-profile media people in Vegas, like non-NHL media people going, attending that game, tweeting about that game, talking about it, and it ended up being a really good product. So, I mean, that's just kind of a little side thing, but a nice night for the NHL in that respect. Uh, We'll get your answer back on the show here in just a second. I did think it was interesting, you know, we didn't – as as so often happens on the crossover, I have something I want to ask Rick Dollywell about, and he just jumps right to it and gets to it because he wants to get something off of his chest before I even have a chance to go there. And, you know, he was saying, like, look, they went out and they made the Lindholm trade. Everyone's saying, oh, what else can they do? Who else can they add? But at this point, you've already taken your big swing. Do you have to just let the vibes of this group stay? And if they're playing like this and if they're this tightly knit – how much risk is there in switching things up? And to me, because you can look at it and there's still obvious spots on the roster where you could say, you know what? You could see an upgrade there. Could you flip out as a Dorov for a right shot defenseman who's a little bit better, a la Chris Tanev? Could you bring in somebody who's a more clear-cut top six fit to complement either the Miller or Pedersen lines? There's still areas, you know, bump Niels Amon out of the lineup potentially. There's still areas where you can imagine the team improving. I will say the thing I like about another of the things I like about going out and getting Lindholm done so well in advance of the deadline is now you have the next month here to really gather information about how your team, okay, how your team's playing, how your team's performing, and 
you know, more than that in general, specifically how guys are fitting into different roles, okay? Because now all of a sudden, you know, you put Lindholm with Pedersen and McKayev. That's a very specific role that McKayev is going to be asked to do, and you have a chance here uh, to see if he's able to do it. I think we have you back uh, on the line here, Drancer? You do, yeah. All right, fantastic. Uh, so, so, sorry, the, the point I was trying yeah. to make was I'm watching that game and I'm thinking, man, if this isn't two of the three best teams in hockey, it's certainly two of the five. And with the way that this is trending, with the Canucks widening their, you know, vice grip on the Pacific Division, like, they're almost certain to play one another now. You mm-hmm. know, not almost mm-hmm. certain, but, like, what? Well, I, I mean, we'll get into it a little more in the whiteboard, I but I'm say, sure you've already looked at I'm it. Not a, I'm not a statistician, but it's got to be at least around a 50% chance of them meeting. Oh, I would think higher than that. Yeah. Got to be. Yeah. Got to be. I mean, the chances of them finishing first or second got to be... I would I would put it closer to like four and five. Yeah, like that. That back of the napkin. My gut is that it's almost an eighty percent shot that they'll finish. Okay, so just pulling up Dom's model here really quickly. Seventy-five um, percent chance that uh, one of Edmonton or Vegas finishes second in the Pacific, mm-hmm. right? And um, and a seventy-one percent chance of them finishing third. So yeah, like pretty close to. 75% likelihood that they bump into one another in the first round. And that's silly. That's going to be the most outrageous sort of first round matchup that we're going to see in any division all year. And for it to be in the division where the Canucks, should they be able to hold on to first place? And they're certainly tracking well to do so. Like, man, that is the sort of break, you know, that uh, the deep oh, runs yeah. can be built off. Yeah, that's huge. That's one of the big implications uh, for the Canucks from last night with Vegas getting that win because, of course, they pull closer to the Oilers. They keep the Oilers from, uh, you know, getting any closer to the Canucks. And by the way, now officially the Canucks have outpointed the Oilers since December, since the beginning of December, despite Edmonton going on a 16-game win streak in there. So a 16-game win streak. By total points or by? Both. So Canucks have 34 34 points in 21 games. Edmonton has 32 in 20. So Canucks have an 810 points percentage. Edmonton has an 800 points percentage in that stretch. (laughs) So the Canucks have stretched their lead during a 20-game stretch where Edmonton had a 16-game win streak, which is absolutely unreal. The Canucks haven't lost in regulation since, uh, well, St. Louis. So St. Louis and Philly. Yep. Dating back back two months. Dating back to like... When you first were opening your advent calendar, yeah. like the third, the, you have to go back to the Devils game in early December to find the third time they lost in regulation uh, over a two month stretch of hockey. I mean, it's it's crooked. Like at this point, you know, that was their the 14th game in a row that they've picked up a point like this team is managing their losses and more often than not, they're winning it. it this is a heck of a run. They also this is uh, so the last they lost to Philly by three goals. The only other time, the, the time before that, that they lost by more than one goal, you have to go all the way back to November 30th against Vegas. So that's from November 30th <laughs> to February 7th, one loss by more than one goal. And there's a bunch of shootout and overtime losses in there as well. So it's like they're winning alt- often by multiple goals. When they lose, it tends to be by an absolute nice edge. It, it's like all the hallmarks of a really, really good team are coming up for the Canucks right now. I did just want to yep. make the point, you know, Rick, towards the end of uh, of the crossover, was saying, hey, okay, you go out, get Lindholm, that's great. Everyone wants to see them make five trades. How much of a risk is there now uh, at upsetting team chemistry? 
And I think that's another benefit, as I was saying, that the team has from going out and getting Lindholm so early is, well, you have this month of games now to see how the team's performing and to kind of gather information as you try to balance, you know, the value of maintaining that chemistry versus look going out and looking for a marginal upgrade. And, you know, I think the Ilya Mikheyev thing is a perfect example. All right. You've got him now on a line at where I would say he's in more of a position to succeed as the complimentary guy with Pedersen and Lindholm. And now you have the month of chances to see, okay, is he the guy there? Do we try an internal option or do we need to have to look for an external option? You know, you've got Nikita Zadorov kind of paying, playing third pair of minutes right now. You've got a month to see, is this how we want to run our defense? So I'm certainly not ruling out a change. I don't think the chemistry thing means you can't make a change. It's something to take into consideration for sure. But I just like that they have this chance that, okay, we really like our lineup right now. Let's see how these guys do. And then let's take stock, you know, first week of March and see, are there any trouble spots that we need to address before the deadline? Yeah, especially because they made their move and addressed what they saw as their biggest need, quite rightly, in my Mm -hmm. opinion, which was getting additional play driving help for Miller and Pedersen, right? Now, Pedersen's getting the help for now, but, but as we talked about in the first segment, right, if you've got Lindholm playing Miller's role on the PK, that's easier sledding for Miller, fewer minutes, less strain down the stretch, less moments in a stationary defensive situation in zone where you're likely to take bumps and bruises and and have to block shots, right? Um, Plus, you know, the possibility that if they end up doing more hard match stuff with the Pedersen line, um, you know, I I think JT Miller and Brock Besser can go wrecking ball on the bottom end of opponents' lineups. You know, if that's that's the chance the Canucks are going to try and carve out for them, I, I mean, that sounds very... Very interesting to me. So, you know, I, I think there's you're seeing the benefits to Miller and Pedersen. And, and oh, yeah. in terms of the marginal upgrade stuff, you know, I think it just depends how far down your lineup you're looking to upgrade. And that's sort of where I think we're talking about, right? As, as you know, you know, I don't know that we're talking about another top six winger necessarily, but like another guy with size to, mm-hmm. to give you an option in various points in your lineup. Um, you know, that to me would still fit the bill uh some additional puck moving insurance uh that to me would still fit the bill so we'll certainly be interesting to see what the Canucks do I definitely don't think they're done but I do think they're very much going to be and I I mean I've been reporting this for a week in in let's see where the dust settles for a bit here yeah before jumping back into the market I mean great returns on that in the first game and again just a smart move I think to kind of give them themselves that time right so you're not making (laughs) Lindholm you know you make the Lindholm deal on March 6th it's like well we have to decide right away now do we want to do more (laughs) now you get to see okay let's see how everyone slots in here we've got the lineup uh you know structured (laughs) a little bit more how we like it we've got a chance to gather some more data uh, before the deadline how many Canucks fans really quick I know we've got books on the other side but um how many Canucks fans saw Kuzmenko score on like his first Calgary Flame shift? Yeah, rolled their eyes and thought like, "Here we go again." Uh-huh. But then, but then because it's twenty twenty three twenty four, right? Because it's this charm season. It's like not only does Lindholm pull one back, but but he then scores again. Yeah, <laughs> I was so happy that Lindholm scored honestly because I saw I was like, "Oh man, we're not going to have to do this thing where we're like counting Kuzmenko goals versus Lindholm goals." Like, come on, I don't want to do this. Come on. And then Lindholm scores twice. It's like, thank goodness. We're, we're saved. We're that saved. The trade, the trade was won yes, that night. Exactly. We won the trade. Thank goodness. 
<laughs> All right, we'll take a break. On that note, Jason Bukala from Sportsnet joins us, as always, on Wednesday. That's coming up next here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. Canucks Talk is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And uh, right now, we go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline, where we are joined from Sportsnet's NHL coverage and a former NHL scout as well. He is Jason Bukla. Jason, thanks for doing this, man. How are you today? Good, fellas. How are you today? Uh, We're doing very well. We're uh, very excited that the post-All-Star break schedule is is on now. It was a a long break there for the Canucks, but they get back at it with a win in Carolina last night. And Elias Lindholm instantly effective for his new team, scoring two goals on the power play beyond the goal scoring, uh, which, of course, was really nice to see and I'm sure felt great for Lindholm. What did you think of his fit and playing next to Elias Pettersson last night in Carolina? A seamless fit. So guys like me who do this for a living and we don't just look at, you know, goals, you know, four and stuff like that, which is great. You know, like he's around the net, those, Mm -hmm. those tips around the crease, you know, he's obviously, he's got that skill set guys. And he's had a, he's had a below average uh, kind of overall is, is his body of work uh, has been average offensively this year. So that was really nice to see him get off the Schneid last night in a hurry, but defensively and the way he tracks, um, like now we got a guy on the right side, uh, or probably a right shot that can win draws on his strong side, um, you know, effectively in the defensive zone, especially like the one time on the on the penalty. I was, I was breaking it down today, and every one of his faceoffs he matched up against either Aho or Stahl. So Stahl's one of Carolina's best veteran faceoff guys. But as we know, Aho is you know the play driver for Carolina, right? So. Um, that gives you a, a real quick glimpse into what his role can be uh, matching up against the top offensive talents and key defensive situations. Um, I thought it was a seamless fit. Um, I don't know everything that uh, it's, it's becoming redundant. I know, you know, is it's, we've been talking about this forever now, but it seems like everything that the Canucks touched so far this year turns to immediate gold, so let's yeah. hope it's uh, a sign of great things to come. Well, even it's so funny, right, because Lindholm's having trouble putting the puck in the net, shooting a career-low percentage, and then he comes to the Canucks, and boom, two tipping goals right off the bat. It's just as soon as you're in a Canucks <laughs> sweater, you're going to start scoring goals, apparently. And, you know, it was, I thought it was – he led the forwards in ice time. As you said, you know, he's out there taking draws. He's on the penalty kill. He's killing the game late. 
how much of a domino effect does it have when you add somebody who's kind of an immediate high usage player like that who you can use in every situation? How does it kind of trickle down and, you know, all of a sudden everyone else in the forward group gets slotted in maybe a little bit uh, more appropriate spot for them in the lineup? Yeah, I think that's absolutely what's happening here. And, and that's why the acquisition was made, right? Like we, we kind of talked about it, trying to identify that second layer uh, in the middle of the ice and, and don't, don't be mistaken. Like they really have the opportunity in a third period, if they're chasing a game to load up two lines, right? Like really effectively here and, and, uh, and, you know, come at teams a variety of ways. So the trickle down effect, you know, you know, a suitor and a, like those other guys are kind of, um, I like the balance of the lineup when I look at it now. I know that in the third period, some guys had their ice time peeled back, which is fine. I mean, you know, Carolina is a good team. Um, their record uh, could be better. Their goaltending has been well below average on balance for the season. So that's a tough team to play against. That's a tough rink to play in. Um, so I, I think the trickle-down effect is is evident in terms of balance. But I don't know if you guys have noticed or not. You know when trades are made – and um, teams are or players are excited about an acquisition to a man. You can see it in the eyes of the Canuck players where they're like, you know, I've played against this guy for years. I know how hard he is to play against with the detail that he brings to the, to the game. And I'm, I'm happy he's on our side now because uh, like even JT Miller went on last night, I was watching late, you know, and he called him a complete player. Mm. And so that's a, that, that gives a lot of confidence in the room. If, if, if everybody's thinking, wow, that's, that's something we can trust uh, even further for our group. Books. Um, just in terms of, I, I want to ask you about our steep Baines, right? Because he's a player there's a lot of interest in him locally, given where he grew up, which is Vancouver. Uh, but also, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's had this meteoric rise from being an undrafted guy to, you know, winning. He was the all-star of the AHL game, uh, all-star MVP over the weekend. I mean, what have you seen? Is he on radar? Oh, the radar for you is like a potential call-up option in the playoffs or at least a guy who should be in with a bid to make the team next winter next fall yeah he's an ace at worst here come playoff time for me depending mm-hmm. on what's going on you know with Abbotsford I think he's absolutely earned that um you know this is a guy that was a slow burn in the in the Western Hockey League but you know here's something that stands out for me with players like this guys when when you have a player who plays in major junior hockey with the same organization for his entire career, okay, and let's not forget that that organization is owned by Sutter, so it's not like you know you know you have to earn your stripes to stay here in Red Deer, right? Um, when they look at him on balance value wise, and yeah, we had the COVID year, but he clearly saw what this guy was capable of, and it was like he was grooming grooming him along for that obviously breakout year in his OA year. Now he's just continued on at the uh, American League level. And um, it's interesting to me that, uh, you know, he leans playmaker for me, like across the board. Like I think that's his MO. But he too is a guy that the trickle down effect of the organization, in terms of detail, um, he's not going to be a heavy hard guy. He's like six foot, I don't know, 185 or something like that. Um, but he's tracking and doing all the right things in all three zones. So he's giving the big team all the right reasons to trust him when they have to call his number. And with a player like that, once 
you know, it's it's interesting to me because with a player like that who's had these two years where his development is so significant, you know, they get to an age where it's time for them to begin to, you know, step up and challenge to make the NHL if they're going to be a player. But on the other hand, it, it's, you know, still there can be some fits and starts. Even the, the smash success stories, like even your Carter Verhage class, don't come up once, right? right? Like there's usually still a path to run here. How do you balance organizationally being patient with a guy whose development path is so steep over the last two years? Well, I think that's really interesting. And, and I would counter it by saying that imagine if he was a college player and we were circling that, you know, and saying that he's a free agent candidate at the college level because he's right in that category, isn't he? You know, like those college guys that, that start to hit at 22, 23 years old. I'm not right. so much worried about the timeline. I, I'm okay with the arrival. Like, I, it's not an age-driven scenario for me. Um, it's a results-oriented business. If I, I'd like to see him especially give us – um, food for thought, and I think he's already accomplished this, but, you know, we've got some contracts to sign in the horizon. So, you know, we got to manage our money, and it's all going to become asset management, and where's he fit in? Can he play this role? What's his number going to be looking like? And we all know what it's going to look like. You know, like uh, down the road, we're talking about, what, like a $900,000, million-dollar player, and if he can add secondary scoring and do a bunch of the other things. Um, I don't care when he arrives, as long as he's got that slot, and I think financially um you know that has to factor in too because we're going to have some big tickets that are going to arrive on the books now I'll, I'll also say this though fellas that um keep an eye on this name because you know teams will circle around right now um you know i don't know what they're going to do with what they got left on the books the canucks at one eighth and change i think um i don't know what they're going to do there but you know asset wise like there's a team out there in the league. You don't think that Baines could be playing in uh, in San Jose right now or in Anaheim? I say I would argue he wears an NHL uniform with those organizations right now. Uh, that's fascinating, right? That because I mean that you go from being a, an undrafted WHL free agent signing to potentially being an asset a couple of years uh, down the road. I, I know you're in uh, you're at the Five Nations tournament doing some scouting for the draft eligible players this year, Jason. And you know we've already seen the Canucks trade their 2024 first round pick and look they certainly expect that to be in the back you know third or so or or even more than that of the uh, of the first round and I think there's a sense that you know into the 20s of this first round the talent drop off is going to be pretty steep maybe steeper than in years past is that your sense as well right now yeah absolutely and you know it's a fine line because I've done this for so long and I know that these these athletes have prepared for so long for this moment. So I'm not trying to, you know, dummy it down or, or make anybody feel bad, but that is the reality. So this is the NHL. It's a big business. And I'm here to tell you that the, you know, from arguably around 18, uh, it starts to turn into a different type of uh, draft than what we've seen in the last couple of draft cycles. So absolutely. Um, and that's why, you know, the Canucks, um, you know, in the, the trade that they, they made with Calgary, the asset management that was involved in that deal, I, I really liked it because of the fact that, you know, none of their high, high-end um, current crop of prospects had to be sacrificed. Uh, that first rounder that they let go out the door, it's going to be a high first uh, or late first round pick. And uh, based on value of what I'm feeling right now today, um, you know, that's uh, 
that's a maybe in the NHL going forward. How do you think it could change what other teams try to do or are willing to part with or what selling teams are targeting, right? If, you know, if there's a sense that maybe this draft isn't the strongest, could we see teams uh, maybe try to target drafts down the road, the 2025 draft? Yeah, so, like, if I was asked and, you know, I was in the war room, I would be punting it to 2025 and giving myself more runway for my my staff and myself to continue to accrue more knowledge on, uh, on you know, these the, the further outs. Um, but I, I have to tell you, I would be dipping my line in the water for, for current prospect capital. And especially, I guess it depends where you're at in your, in your process too. So if you're San Jose, you're in a full-blown rebuild. So it's okay to punt it to 2025. If you're the Calgary Flames, for example, and they make their next move, call it Hannafin, Tanev, I don't care what it is, um, they might be looking to acquire a higher-end prospect because they're in a retool, not a rebuild. And they want a guy that might be able to make the roster sooner than later because don't forget, you punt it to 25, then you're looking, depending on his timeline, you know, is he a college guy, is he a European, whatever he is, you're talking another two years at least. So it's a long, a long way down the road. So um, it's going to be fascinating to see how different teams approach it. But for me personally, uh, I'm punting it to 25. If I'm a late round acquisition, first round pick, my preference though is I'm trying to go after higher end prospects. Books at the tournament, uh, the Five Nations tournament pl- being played right now in Plymouth. One guy who's there that I'm interested in in hearing you talk about is uh, Cole Eiserman. So, um, you know, for those for those of us who aren't um, like Jamie Dodd, Gavin McKenna, sickos, right? <laughs> um, there was a time where. <laughs> there was a time where I would have told you that I I thought Cole Eiserman was going to be you know um, the most likely challenger with um, with Macklin Celebrini to be first overall uh, in this draft class. That's just not how it's shaken out. Um, how low has his stock gone at this point? Like, are, are we going to get to the point where? You know, he he may not even be a top ten guy. Fascinating. Um, you know, my colleagues on this side of the aisle. You know, the you know uh, in in media. Um, I'm for whatever reason, answer. You know this better. Like I've been a hard ass on this kid. Unfortunately for him, I really like him as a player, but compared to some of my other colleagues, he's he's dropped to nine for me on my list. He started mm-hmm. the year at two. Um, there's a potential that he could go up or down, but here's the, here's the thing guys, um, similar to Arthur Kaliev in LA, who, when he's not scoring goals, he becomes a huge liability, um, Mm. everywhere else on the ice. That is Cole Eiserman. He's a pure goal scorer, six foot, 196. He's got 51 goals in 48 games coming into this tournament overall for his whole year. In the USHL, which is, you know, the junior league down here, you know, he's got 16 and 14, but he's only got five apples. So um, he he wants the puck all the time. He works it off the flank. His defensive details got a long way to go. When he's, in, like, engaged, he can track up and down. But as we know now better than – more than we've ever known, like, if you're not ready – 
to track at the NHL level, like you better learn in a hurry or else you become expendable. Like Kuzmenko is in Calgary because he, he couldn't play the way your coach wanted him to play. Not because we didn't know he was a goal scorer. We already knew that. So um, Iserman's, uh he started at two, he's dropped. He's going to have to come back to life for me here down the stretch for me to uh, trust uh, his projection. And with a player like Iserman, who's, you know, in some ways, like in, in hockey circles anyway, been a guy to watch since he was 16. Like, I always wonder about the, like, Couturier, Chikorin class guy. Like, is there a level to which a guy gets overscouted and people just see what he isn't, yeah. you know, as opposed to what, what he is? Um, is? Is that partly what's going on or is it more about how he'll fit um, in the at the next level given you know some of the deficiencies yeah you know that's that that is an interesting point for our listeners like there are players who come on the radar so early um, and you know the argument could even be made with Celebrini so Celebrini you know what a lose-lose it's a a lose-win situation for Celebrini this year because he's following Connor Bedard and he's going to be the next number one like that's a tough follow right but all Celebrini's done is continue to build up more and more equity, more trust in the way that he plays. This isn't, for me, uh, a bias on Iserman. I scouted him religiously last year. I liked him a lot in Switzerland at the under-18s for Team USA. He scored some big goals. He always wanted the puck. I knew what he was going to be. But the fact of the matter is he's still the same today that he was last year on balance for the most part. I need to see growth in other areas. For me, fellas, I'm stubborn. I get it. But if you can't <laughs> skate, you can't think, and you don't have a relentless compete at the NHL level, your other skill attributes have a really hard time rising to the top. So I need them to start to tick off the boxes in those other categories. Like, look at Owen Tippett, fellas. There's a great example. Tip could always mm. rip a puck. He's starting to figure it out in Philly, right? But his model, his, his curve took a while. We knew that because we'd seen enough of the, of the compete and how he could burn up and down the ice, but he wasn't doing it often enough. Now all of a sudden he's doing it, and look what you have in a player. So, you know, that's where I'm perplexed with Eisman. But let's not forget, like, we drafted Tip. What did we draft them, Jansford? 10 or 11 or something like that in, in Chicago? I think it was 10. So Eisman, yeah. I got, yeah, and I've got Eisman at 9 now. So I'm just trying to paint the picture how I feel about the scenario. I, yep. want, I wanted to ask you about uh, a, a local product in this year's draft from Chetwin, BC. Caden Lindstrom, okay. he's six foot four, uh, playing for the Medicine Hat Tigers in the WHL, and you know, six foot four, putting up over a point per game. You see that kind of profile, and you start to think, okay, this guy's going to go really, really high. How high could we be talking about here for Caden Lindstrom? He's he's very likely going to be a top ten pick. I've got him at fourteen right now. And it was based off a couple of viewings before he got injured. He's up with a hand injury. Um, it was based off a couple of, of, of viewings where uh, I thought his push could have been a little bit better. I thought he could have been more consistently imposing. Now, having said that, his body of work's been excellent. He's a goal scorer, guys. This is power forward goal scorer. He'll extend plays, but he's not a natural playmaker off the rush. But he does have old school, too. He's one of those guys that if you're not paying attention to the neutral zone and and he's above the play defensively, he'll close on you and he'll knock you right in your bench. Like, he's a big body. I love that about him. Um, But, you know what, I think he's – this is top 10 potential. Um, I'm – you know, I just – 
I hope he comes back from injury and continues to hit the ground running. Here's one thing I did do. I did do some homework um, because I was worried I was having a bias here for some reason. So I wanted to kick myself a little bit. And uh, Medicine Hat's been having a really hard time matching up against teams like Saskatoon, for example, with the Fraser Mintons in the middle of the ice Mm. since Lidstrom's been out of the lineup. So that tells me something about his overall value. And perhaps I've been a little bit too hard on him, but uh, we still have time. All right, and I can't let you go without asking about uh, his Medicine Hat Tigers teammate, Gavin McKenna. And we're getting, look, we're getting very far ahead of ourselves here. He's 2026 eligible, but he first popped up on my, my radar. I mean, I think he debuted in the dub in like late 2022 as a 14-year-old uh, and immediately started scoring points. He's 16 this year, still has a couple years before he's drafted, 69 points in 44 games rare to see that sort of scoring profile i mean how much attention is he starting to attract in in scouting circles around the industry i was excited when i got the note today that we were going to talk about this kid because this is the next layer fellas this is the next really high-end player uh not only coming out of the dub but projecting a couple years out here to be that that offensive talent that everybody is just gravitating to so this kid's a stud. He's from Whitehorse in the Yukon. You know, I think he's number one in a couple of years. He's not trapped eligible to 2026. Obviously, I'm going to learn a lot about players in that amount of time. But, I mean, you just look at – we talked about this before. I do things in segments. Like, his last 10-game segment was, like, 20 points and plus eight. Yep. Um, elite brain. He's light. He's, like, buck 65, six feet. He could literally play any position. He's so smart and so crafty. He could play the middle, play the wing. He could quarterback the power play on the back end. This guy's a stud. Like, this is this is a momentum guy. And going back to what we talked about just a couple of questions ago, it's going to be interesting to see how people start poking holes in him between mm. now and 2026. Well, that's a tough thing, right? Because you have this sort of performance early in your junior career. You've still got two more years. And next year, everyone's going to be looking at him and saying, okay, what are you going to do for an encore, right? And he could be in a situation where he has, you know, like 60 goals and people will be disappointed because the expectations get so high. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope not. I mean, Willie Desjardins there, Medicine Hat, you guys are familiar with Willie. Uh, they're going to be real good in the next couple of years. They've got the Basha kid, the Lindstrom kid, obviously McKenna. So they're they're on the rise. Um, I know we're going to go here in a second. Can I bring up a kid here at the pro- uh, that I'm watching here at the U.S. program? I think you guys will be interested in because he's got a cool story. Please do. Um, he's from Surrey. He's from Surrey, BC originally. I don't know if you guys are are familiar with the EJ Emery kid. He's playing for the U.S. national team program. He's a big right shot defenseman, six three, about a buck eighty five. He's lean, but he'll lean, he'll he'll play out to two hundred five, two ten. His dad played for the BC Lions back in the day and met his mom. Um, so that's how the dual citizenship uh, came to be. He grew up, uh, he played at the Burnaby Winter Club there in, in your back door, and, and he's down here playing for the U.S. team. I've got him at the very periphery of the first round, 32nd overall, but I thought that would be a cool story for your listeners. Sometimes you lose track of where kids go. He's landed right here. Here I am. He's, uh, he's tracking in a positive direction, and uh, his roots were sold, if you will, hockey-wise, uh, through the BC lines to his mom and uh, right there in your back door. So pr- pretty cool story. Very cool. Thank you for highlighting that. I was not aware of the EJM story, so I'll, uh, I'll be tracking him for sure. And uh, I love the report on Gavin McKenna. I was pumping my fist. I'm hyped. I'm hyped already. So thanks for thanks for well, doing this that as was always. Yours. You, 
<laughs> yeah, you always drop those ones on my lap, Jay. I know. I figured. I figured. I figured. I better. I figured. I better give you a heads up on this one. Just, I, I thought you'd probably be able to go there anyways because he's getting that kind of attention now. But I thought I better give you a heads up about this one that I wanted to talk about him. So no, I appreciate that it. That was a great one. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do it. So thanks for that. Of course. Thanks, Jason. We'll talk next week. Okay, fellas, take care. All right, that is Jason Bukula from Sportsnet's NHL coverage uh, and also a regular contributor here for us every Wednesday, getting me even more fired up, Drancer, about Gavin McKenna and the future, the 2026 draft. I'm circling it already. I'm getting hyped. Got to target those draft picks. I might be talking to no one. I feel like we might have lost Drancer. That was very, that was very jarring there. All right, well, that's always fun. Nothing like just talking into an empty void where your co-host is supposed to be. Uh, perfect opportunity for us to take a break here on the show. We'll try to get Drancer reconnected, uh, and we will come back. We'll do the whiteboard break anyway. On the so other side, one twenty-four. That's exactly what I'm doing. We'll take a break. We'll do the whiteboard on the other side in the final segment of the show here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet six fifty. <laughs> 